Hello, and welcome to episode 26 of our School Bites podcast. I'm David, the North America Jedi here at Interactive Schools, with Ben, our marketing manager and the author of our brand new COVID communications framework for schools. This week's episode is a special edition as we are joined by Peter Barron from the Enrollment Management Association for a conversation about ways schools can get ready for an unpredictable year ahead. Our aim in these weekly podcasts is to bring you our best tips and advice to improve your school marketing and content strategy. Keep up with our online School Bites blog too, as we also share out these tips in easy digital guides. To check out our blog, just visit blog.interactiveschools.com. And don't forget to subscribe to our School Bites email newsletter for your weekly dose of school marketing tips straight to your inbox. In the most normal of times, the start of a new school year is complicated. Throw in an ongoing pandemic and things get really interesting. It's true, schools have the tough task of keeping teachers and students safe from the virus on top of the mountain of normal logistical challenges. And plenty of questions need answers before teaching begins. How can social distancing happen in crowded classrooms? Are masks required at all times of the school day? How will students who take full buses get to and from school? You get the picture. Then for some schools, there are the almost existential questions like how they can keep enrollments at levels to keep the doors open. Does your school have the answers? Have school leaders thought through every possible contingency? Are you ready for even more uncertainty? Let's stop right there and start the new school year with the same outlook you always greet the end of summer by looking confidently to a positive year ahead. Remember, your school may look different, but the learning goes on. You got this. In that spirit, we're excited to welcome Peter Barron to our podcast. Peter is the Chief Member Relations Officer at the Enrollment Management Association. Peter, that sounds like a pretty big job for an organization that provides professional support for more than 1,300 independent schools. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do? Sure. First off, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, happy to talk a little bit about what I do. So you articulated it really well, right? We work with over 1,300 members really all over the world with a, with a heavy concentration in North America. And our team really focuses on you know, a handful of things. So, so first off, we have a, a membership team, which is, is really there to help our members uh, on the day-to-day, -day, whether it's using our, our products or they just have general questions about admission strategy, you know, whatever the case may be, they're there to support them and uh, provide the service that they need. We also focus on marketing. So not only marketing to um, schools, but also you know, helping families through the process of admission. Um, we do a lot of work on our website, ssat.org, to help families navigate the process. Uh, we have a, a, a robust uh, professional development group. So, you know, right now we're actually in the midst of our annual conference. And uh, like so many conferences, we've moved it to the remote space and have tweaked the business model a little bit and, and tried to, to, to make it more accessible to schools. And, and we're really excited about it because we have over 2,600 uh, folks who have registered to date. And we anticipate that number to continue to grow. So really, you know, like when you think about what I do, it's all of the, the forward facing aspects of the organization. Great, Peter. And that's really what we're here to talk about is the, the sort of forward facing part of a school reopening. 
And, sure. you know, some of our listeners um, may have, you know, heard you at our power up conference in June. At, at that point, schools were transitioning from making significant changes really on a dime to planning for an uncertain future. And you know, during the all-star panel that you participated in, you said nobody signed up for this. In a matter of days, schools were able to pivot and deliver instruction remotely. It requires a big shift in thinking. And that's that's right. And can you share some examples of schools that you think really did it right? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's, gosh, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of examples. Like everybody's been laboring through this to understand how can they um, open in a model that that is a, you know, consistent with their local, you know, state CDC guidelines, but also really, uh, you know, empathetic to their communities. So, you know, schools that I think have taken interesting mindset to this are, are schools like Western Reserve Academy and, and and not so much I'm not like I'm not going to dive into their 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 model as much as I'm going to dive into the way that they think. So their head of school Suzanne Walker Buck um, has really empowered her team to think creatively. She's she developed this concept of an idea factory where the administration comes together and literally creates permission to throw any idea out there. Like no no bad ideas. You know this is all about iterative thinking and how can we. Um, look at opportunities that in the past we may not have seen, but in light of COVID, you know, maybe there are new ways for us to approach uh, the, the model. And, you know, that's complemented with things like blue sky walks where they were literally like, I don't know about you, but like I'm on zoom all day. And when I have an opportunity to actually have a phone call, like I, I, my creative energy spikes because I can get up from my desk. I can walk around, I can like breathe fresh air. And, you know, they uh, uh, use that as a way to go out and have conversations and really think about like, how can they move the school forward in ways that are really creative and beneficial to the to, to students. Um, Bennett Day School, which is in Chicago, has done some really interesting things as we've transitioned to uh, the fall. You know, they recognize that you know, they're a very entrepreneurial school. They actually have like a product team baked into the DNA of the school. So they, they take their intellectual property and think about ways they're teaching intellectual property and think about ways in which they can scale it and make it available, um, you know, uh, to the broader community. And when things shut down, um, they went back to two of their founding teachers and they built essentially playlists. Like if you think about you know, your Spotify playlist, but they, they built educational playlists that they would publish to um, YouTube and make it available to families like, like, like ours. Like, you know, I've got a nine, a nine year old and a 13 year old, you know, we're sitting here trying to figure out how are we going to help them and, you know, continue the learning and feel like they're growing. And so they created all these lessons that were very intentional and play-based and, you know, geared to different ages, whether it's the younger kids or the older kids. And what's really neat about that is you start to think about, you've got this incredible like wealth of information, but in normal times, you're making it available to what, like 300 families in your school, let's say your school of 300, you know, by, by thinking creatively, they actually scaled it. And through YouTube, I think have reached something like 300, 350,000 families over the course of uh, the spring and summer. So, you know, they're just, I think what's so interesting about COVID is that it's forced us to get out of the mode of, well, we always, we've always done it this way, right? It's kind of broken down that wall and forced us to think uh, entrepreneurially. Do you think that shift in thinking will outlast what our 
CEO Simon Noakes calls this new abnormal? Or do you think that schools, when this eventually does end in whatever fashion it does, will kind of go back to old mindsets or old strategies? Or do you think this this outlasts all of that? I, I don't see how it, how it can't outlast all of this, right? Like if you, you know, habits are formed over what three weeks, right? So we've been yeah, doing this right. for six. We've been doing this for six months now. So um, you know, I think we're all getting more and more conditioned to looking at problems in creative ways. Not that we didn't before, but I think we're really been forced to dial that in and and kind of amplify that in ways that we haven't in the past. And frankly, like, I, I don't know if parents are going to allow us to go back to the way things have always been. Like, you just see innovations popping up all around us, you know, whether it's, you know, think about learning pods. I mean, I don't know if that's something that is happening in the UK, but certainly here in, in North America, that's something that we're seeing pop up all over the place. Um, and, and honestly, you, you know, if, <laughs> if, if when things kind of quote, quote unquote, go back to normal, we're all back in school, uh, you know, it's not a hybrid mode or a remote mode or an in-person mode. It's just like, hey, we're back to having kids in the classroom again. I think our teachers are going to be approaching uh, the way they they educate kids differently as well, because they've been forced to get out of um, their comfort zone and think about, all right, how am I going to deliver instruction online? Like, I just can't lecture, right? I've got to be much more intentional or much more creative in the way that um, I'm working with my students. I suspect that creativity will continue to uh, assist them as the as they move forward once we're past this past this this phase of COVID, which hopefully hopefully sooner rather than later. But you know, yeah. uh, as I like to say, take it day by day. That's right. Patience is a virtue. You do mention sort of you know the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial mindset of, of sure. teachers and of schools as institutions. What about those schools and and folks that may struggle with that mindset? Um, what what advice do you have for them? Well, I mean, this is going to sound a little selfish, but I, I hope they attend professional development at, at the, the Enrollment Management Association. I mean, when when you go into education, isn't it, it isn't necessarily because. Um, you're an entrepreneur at heart. Certainly there are pockets of entrepreneurism throughout education. There's no doubt about that. But, you know, there's, there's, there's a normalcy, you know, there's a rhythm, there's something about the way we teach or, or enrollment for that matter that has been set over many, 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 many decades, right? So it's cyclical. Right. You, you know what to expect each month. And that's been turned on its head, right? That's been completely disrupted in so many different ways. And, you know, what, what we recognize very early on is that for us to be able to help uh, our members, we really needed to help them cultivate that, those entrepreneurial skills. So, you know, it's, it's what I always recommend, whether it's through us or other associations, or organizations like yours, you know, seek out those places that can help you bit by bit build your skill set, right? Like, I need a little bit of training here. Where can I get that? And, and give permission to your community to seek out that, that sort of training because it will only assist you not only today, but well, well into the future as you start to you know, think about other ways you can scale your organizations and meet the needs of your community. Yeah, and, and when we think about the future, we really are looking at the immediate future. You know, you right. talked about the sort of calendar of a school year and we kind of know what's coming. That that still does exist for schools. And this month and, and next in the United States, at least, you know, schools will be reopening. I'm sure that you've seen a lot of different reopening plans that schools have prepared over the last weeks and months. For you, what are the ingredients of the most successful? Yeah, I, you know, I think, I, I can't, and I can't remember 
who I had this conversation with, but somebody had said to me uh, a couple months back, like, look, I, 10 years from now, you want to look back. If you're a school leader, you want to look back and ask, you want to ask yourself the question, did I do the right thing by my community, depending on, you know, the circumstances that are in front of you. And I think that's a really good guidepost, right? Like, you know, think about what, what you know, the, the 10 year perspective and can, do you feel like the decisions that you made uh, were best suited to help propel the, the, the organization through a really, really challenging time. And, and that's going to differ by region, right? Like in certain regions, you know, you're largely going to have to go remote because we just can't come together yet. In other regions where case counts are, 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 are lower, then you have more options. You can, you, you can go in person. You can think more creatively around hybrid. But ultimately, it comes down to those leadership principles and, and unfortunately, having to make difficult decisions at times because, you know, <laughs> this is the hard part of being a head of school right, right now. Like, I really have incredible empathy for heads of school and administrative teams because these are really difficult decisions that they're making because ultimately on the other side of whatever decision that you make you know you're you're there's going to be some percentage of your families that disagree right there's just there's nothing you can do about that right. some people feel very passionate about look we need to be back in school i need my my student my my children to be in school every single day then there are other families that are saying, look, I just I'm not willing to take that risk. And I feel like our kids need to be home with us and we need to quarantine in a way that, that we think is going to you know, protect our families and our extended families. Like, I get it. These are all really, really difficult, difficult decisions for every individual family. And, you know, if you extrapolate that out for what that means for a school, it's 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 it is not an easy framework to work within. Now, you know, interestingly, you know, what I find um, really reassuring at the personal level, right? So like you always look through your own lenses when you're examining these problems. Like, you know, there's this just, I think, an instinctive thing that you do. Um, I look at the, the school where uh, my daughter goes. To. So she goes to an independent school out here in Seattle. And what I really appreciate about the way they've been messaging their opening is that like, look, this is the best information that we have right now you know, this may change, you know, our plan, our intention is to do this, but we also recognize that this is a very fluid situation. And if, you know, the situation goes in one direction or another, we're going to have to adapt along with it. And what they're essentially saying is like, we're thinking through a whole bunch of different scenarios, but ultimately we, we don't know what the final solution is going to be. And there's a lot of discomfort with that. But I think the more honest and transparent that we can be about that discomfort and, the fact that this is a very, you know, challenging, you know, unstable time, then, you know, you can actually buy, earn yourself some grace with your families because they're feeling the same thing on the, on a day-to-day -day basis. It's not just your school. It's like, am I going back to my job or am I going to continue right. to work remotely? Can I go see my grandparents or am I going to put them at risk? Like they're, you know, when back in March and we were all looking at the shutdown and thinking about, you know, where will we be in the next month, two months, three months? You know, if you think six months out and all the way into August and 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 if somebody said to you, hey, we're going to be hovering between 40, 45,000, 50,000 daily infections, I think all of us would have said like, there's no way. But yet right. here we are. And right. so as a result of that, we have to make decisions that six, four or five months ago, we never thought we would have to make. So I think the more open and transparent and, and your ability to communicate that 
uh, and and sometimes even show your your vulnerability. I think I I think that's a winning um, combination. Yeah, and you're right. We really are in uncharted territory, and leaders are having to make difficult decisions in a fluid situation. But you know, the best laid plans are nothing without effective communications. Right. And that's that's why we wrote uh, a COVID framework for schools. And you know, in it, we offer five guiding principles and a checklist for effective comms. And you know, Ben, um, on, it was our marketing manager, is the author of this um, this framework. Ben, why don't you um, you know talk to us a little bit about why you wrote the framework and and what's in it? Hi, David. Hi, Peter. Thank you very much. Um, it's an interesting one. I found in my research that a lot of schools were eager to do something to communicate more effectively with their audiences, but were struggling to find out how to do it. So they may have thought, well, we need to post here, we need to speak to the following people, but there wasn't much structure to what they were doing, which is why I decided to take some action and put something together that schools could use as a, as a template, really. So we identified five principles that we thought should be at the heart of all communications across channels. And the first is rational. And we wanted schools to communicate in a way that displayed sound, logical thinking. And what do we mean by that? Yes, as Peter said, there's going to be a lot of fluidity and change in the way that schools have to manage the back-to-school process. But I think schools must focus on the way that they make their decisions and explain that to parents and the wider community. So, for example, a flowchart that explains their decision-making process, different scenarios may be a good start. At least then there's transparency and honesty from the very beginning. We then said that communications should be encouraging. It's a very scary time and parents may be very worried and staff may also be very worried too. So we think that schools should focus on positive steps. And that doesn't mean blindsiding them with amazing details of how great things are going to be. It's going to be back to normal. It's just saying, yes, it's going to be difficult. There's going to be change, but we're here to do the best thing. And we want to give our students the very best time at school. We also said that comms should be accessible. So schools should identify the channels where they're going to get maximum engagement. People need to be informed and they deserve to be informed. It's a very challenging time. So schools had to go that extra mile to make sure that their messages were heard and received. The next principle is cooperative. As Peter said, everybody that's suffering in this pandemic has a very unique set of circumstances. And it's important that schools listen to and understand their stakeholders and try and empathize with their challenges and create solutions to match them. And finally is timely. This is a very serious situation and it's important that schools don't rush decisions, they don't rush their communications and that they allow space for measured decision making. And all of these things don't just apply to parents. There's pupils as well. They should be kept informed. They're old enough. They're wise enough. And it's their human right to know and be able to make decisions that affect them. There's parents, of course. There's prospective families that may have been very interested in the school and are worried about what will happen to it. They may have to change their decisions. There's the staff who can very easily be forgotten, especially when it comes to communications. And there's also the wider school community, whether that's business partners, the alumni, many older alumni in schools focus a lot of their lives around visiting events, coming to the school, engaging with the school community. So those five key stakeholders match nicely to the five communications principles that we're aiming to cover.
Thanks, Ben. That's that's great. You know, you've really touched on something really important, which is that relationships are the heartbeat of independent education. And, you know, you, you touched on a very important consideration, which is how teachers and students and parents feel right now. And Peter, what are a few simple steps you think schools can can take to bring down parent stress levels and build understanding and trust? Yeah, that's a great question. And, I, and congratulations on the uh, the framework. I'm sure that was a, you know, a big lift, especially given, you know, like we're all working on compressed timelines. So I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm sure that the community is very thankful for that. So again, congrats on it. Um, you know, David, I think it starts with making sure you live your promise, right? So as, as a school, and honestly, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter really what the mode of learning is, right? I think we all understand that in some form or fashion, it's going to be disrupted. Like just by virtue of if you're in school, everybody's going to be six feet apart. They're going to be wearing masks. There are going to be fewer kids in the classroom. Or if you're hybrid or if you're remote, like nothing is, it's, this September is going to be nothing like last September. So that's a, that's established, that's understood. But what we can all do is develop, deliver on our fundamental value proposition. And, you know, ultimately, when I look at what is that fundamental value proposition is like, are we supporting our teachers so that they can support the students to do good work? Like it really starts there, making sure that you're you're you're. Uh, so laser focused on providing your teachers with the training that they need in order to navigate, you know, this very, very different world. Because if you do and plans change, like you've earned a lot of grace, right? I think this is one of the things that we saw in the spring when schools had to shut down on a dime, they moved very quickly to online learning. And was it perfect? A absolutely not. Like everything is iterative in life. So version one is not going to be as good as version 10, but because, you know, these communities are so well rooted in their value propositions, they had a lot of grace going into that. And I think we just can't lose sight of that. We have to continue to invest in our community and make sure that we're living out whatever our mission may be and, and, and delivering just an exceptional experience for our families so that if you do have to shift modes later on, um, then certainly, you know, I think your families are going to be a willing partner along the way. Um, you know, coming, kind of getting, kind of flying the plane a little bit higher, right? Like, I, I think this, the, the, the frequency of communication is really important, like you all had said earlier on. Um, you know, being out there, being available. I talked about my daughter's school and the town halls that they uh, have um, held. You know, we've received lots of communications from them. You know, you know, all of them acknowledging that this is a fluid situation. And, you know, as, as a school, I think you always have to point back to whatever your local conditions are, uh, because, you know, it's really, you know, so much of this is dependent on, you know, what's happening around you as a community, a larger community. And, uh, you know, your communications need to really think about that as well, right? Like if you're in a hot spot, then boy, you're, you're going to have to think, think about how does that weave into the way you communicate with your families. Absolutely. And, you know, schools are by necessity inundating families with information. It, does it ever become too much? And, and how important is it to balance that information with good news? Yeah, I mean, like, there are a lot of good stories that have come out of this, right? Um, I, I, I don't know um, if I would say it's too much. Like, again, I'm just kind of looking at it from my own personal perspective, because you know, things are changing so, so quickly that uh, my hope is that they're, you know, as they're making decisions, they're going to keep us in the loop. So, you know, end of the day, you know, that's just the unfortunately the world that we live in right now. 
but you know, in terms of good, good news, I think, yeah, it's really important to balance it with good news, but you also have to balance it with authentic news, right? Like if you're really going with a declarative, like everything is great exclamation point approach, then I think that may, you know, may not necessarily, um, uh, resonate, but you know, if you're highlighting things that have come out of COVID that you think offer ways to showcase why your, your community is powerful and, and how it's supportive and, and, you know, really drive home the, the, the quote unquote, like mission that of, of your school, the, the ROI of your school. Like I know I'm using some, some kind of cliche terms here, but ultimately, you know, I just think you have to balance it, right? I, you have to balance the good with the bad and you have to be transparent about the bad, you know, because if everything is good, then at some point, you know, folks are just going to say, ah, you're like, look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to read this anymore because I, it just doesn't feel real. Yeah. And it really is that balance. And, you know, here at interactive schools, we've seen a lot of schools use social media to showcase their value prop in yeah. creative ways. And so what are some innovative ways you have seen schools showcase how they continue to provide educational value during these challenging times. Yeah. You know, there's so many examples, <laughs> just so many examples. Um, you know, I think one thing that schools can, can, can do is really embrace because statements. And by that, I mean, you know, we have small classes because, and then talk about why, you know, that, that's a, that's a, that's a benefit. And I guess what I'm trying to say is turn features into benefits, right? Like it's really easy to kind of bullet out your features, but if you're not providing context around those features via social, then I think it it, it loses it loses its power. Um, and ultimately, I think the simple ingredient that we all have to embrace is like make it as simple make it as simple as possible, make it easy for families to understand. Now, in terms of schools that I think are doing really interesting things, like I'm going to kind of fly the plane a little bit higher and, and talk about some some larger trends that I saw over the spring. And one thing that I really loved. And David, I don't know if you saw this as well. I mean, it felt like this was something that so many schools embraced is the profiles that schools would publish to Instagram or Facebook or what have you of their graduating seniors. Like, just think about if let's take the example of a K-12 school. Imagine if you were a a lifer at that K-12 school, you had been there since you were, you know, a little, little kid. And now all of a sudden, you know, you've, 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 you're your senior year, you've spent 13 years of your life um, growing and learning in that community. And then it's all taken away, right? No graduation, no senior prom, all the rituals and rites that, you know, we're used to and live are, are kind of wiped off the board. That's really, I mean, it's like, it's the kind of thing that like puts a dagger in your heart, right? Like that's, (laughs) you know, you want to celebrate these students because they've worked tirelessly to, to earn that celebration. And so what I saw so many schools do is just these very thoughtful profiles about their seniors and, you know, you know, celebrating them in that format. And is that the same as, you know, having them on campus and having them walk and, you know, go through that really exciting um, and rewarding uh, end of a end of an educational career experience at your school. No, but I but I do think it was a really good example of how you can utilize social to to you know open up the the curtain and really show what your school is all about. So I think the more human we can be in terms of how we approach social, the better. And it was really cool to see schools embrace that over the spring and summer. Absolutely. And, you know, it brings up another point is 
we're talking a lot about the the current community, but of course yeah. there are families that are still interested in learning about schools and you know, a oh, lot yeah. of schools had to, yeah, had to reimagine tours and interviews and, and all the other touch points along a family's admissions journey. Were there any that stood out to you as just being exceptional or at least really interesting? You know, uh, you know, in my position here at EMA, like I'm really about the process, right? Uh, and when things shut down in March and, you know, the, a second, you know, we're in the midst of that quote unquote second admission season. And what's interesting is, you know, there are a lot of schools around the country that saw increases in inquiries over the spring and into the summer because families were looking for alternatives. But yet, you know, these families couldn't come on their campuses. And, you know, it's really hard to say, like, look at this school or look at that school, because we've literally worked with hundreds of schools mm -hmm. over the past six months to rethink their, I mean, the, the entire process, David, this isn't like, uh, you know, we're going to add a new recommendation form. This is, this is okay. If uh, the, the thing that shows the value of our school the most is when you're on campus and you can actually see the learning happening. Well, that's off the board. You can't do that anymore. So what are we going to do? So like everything has been rethought from the ground up. And, you know, the first few, first few weeks of it, I think all of us were scared and fearful and nervous and wondering how we were going to do this. But once we cracked through that, that, that fear and started to embrace the opportunity, it's been, it's been incredible incredible like they 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 shed a process that has has in some ways constrained them for the last 75 years and now have moved to a you know in in, in a, a new mode right that has incorporated all kinds of new thinking and that's uncomfortable it's super hard uh but schools that that we work with have have without a doubt risen to 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 the challenge and it goes back to what we had talked about very early on like the top of the podcast about being entrepreneurial and entrepreneurial and embracing opportunity in in crisis and I, I as an association working with lots and lots of different schools out there it has been just incredibly gratifying and rewarding and exciting to see schools all over the world step up and uh, rise to that challenge and it really has, I think, unleashed creativity, perhaps where people in schools didn't know they had that creativity. I, I remember during the, the Power Up conference, uh, Vivian Malik at uh, Phillips Andover was on the, the Power Hour uh, oh, yeah. star panel with you. And she talked about yeah. how she had um, another person on her admissions team ride a bike through Andover's campus right. while she was giving a tour. I mean, that's that's it's awesome. fun and it's interesting. It's amazing. And, you know, it's, it's a way to see Phillips Andover as an example through a totally different lens. Um, and so that it really is. And I, I, I do hope that that creativity will, will outlast this, this time. Do, are there, are there things that you think will outlive this from, from an admission standpoint? From an admission standpoint? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. Yeah, I, I, I do. I think the way that we tell our stories is going to outlive um, COVID for for the for, for the better, right? Like the, what Vivian, like, why would you not do what Vivian and <laughs> Andover just did? Like, why would you let's say, ah, oh, that was a COVID thing. Like, we're never going to do that again. Um, I mean, I'm thinking, and I don't remember the school off the top of my head, but I do remember the the event. Like the, one school had offered uh, cooking classes for families, right? And, you know, you bring your favorite teacher in and you kind of teach them how to cook. Now, it may not be the lesson that that teacher is teaching on the day to day, 
but you certainly can extrapolate out, whoa, this teacher just, this teacher is amazing. Like the personality, the charisma, the, the energy, the commitment to learning. Like there's just so many ways that we can showcase this. And by not having that in-person experience, you know, we've been forced to uncover them. And you know, at the end of the day, it's really good marketing, right? And I think yeah. th this is going to be um, something that outlasts this. And frankly, I think the expectation on the parent side is going to um, outlast this too, because it's not just us. It's not just the independent school community that's had to rethink the way we communicate with consumers. It's every industry. Every right. single industry has had to shift. And as along the way, our expectations shift too. And it, you know, it goes back to habits changing over a three week period. Like we're so deep into this. Um, you know, I, I, I firmly believe that the things we're doing now are going to be foundational and we're going to build on them and uh, uh, have, you know, just incredible success down the road. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's in part because I think schools recognize now that they're more than a campus or a classroom that schools really are their personalities, their cultures, yeah. they're, they're a feeling. And so that, you know, we've been given opportunities through this crisis to be able to share our schools in, in truly inspirational ways that really bring out the personality. And, you know, that part of it actually has been really fun to watch. You know, it's been really fun to see the schools that have really risen to the occasion. Oh, yeah, I 100% agree with you. I mean, nobody signed up for this. Nobody wanted right. this to happen. But yet, you know, the, when you're faced with a life-altering pandemic crisis situation, you know, you, you, you have to look creatively. You have to look critically around, okay, this isn't good. <laughs> like, I don't like this. This really stinks. But, you know, th this is a level playing field for all of us. And what am I going to do as a school in order to meet the needs of not only our current families, but our prospective families? And a lot of that does, you know, we work with a lot of marketing communications offices all over the world. This really does have a lot to do with effective communications. And yeah. so what do you say to schools that are considering during this crisis of cutting marketing and communications resources. I literally have three words for it. Like, don't do it. <laughs> like, just don't do that. That's like, that, like, that's bad. You don't want to cut your marketing communication bu 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 uh, budgets right now. They're critical to telling your, your, your story. You know, maybe what you can cut is say, hey, we don't necessarily need to dedicate $5,000 to professional video we can, you know, give our communication team uh, an iPhone and have them ride around campus and record a, a video at zero cost versus, you know, bringing, bringing in a production company like that. I mean, if you're if you're forced to cut budget, like maybe that's where you start to think about um, saving some dollars. But from a personnel standpoint, from a create, you know, from a talent standpoint, I, I really hope schools invest, not um, divest. That's great advice. Um, and, you know, we've reached the end of our podcast and we started, you know, we started about starting the school year right. And yeah. so as we as we look ahead to, you know, the next few weeks, the next few months, do you have any final words of wisdom? Boy, that's a that is a really great question. And and it's it's interesting. Like, I, I wish I had like, you know, the set of wise words that I could hand over to you, David. But really, I have more of a reflection and, you know, I was, I've been thinking about this, you know, right up until we hit record. And the thing that is, 
is fascinating to me is that, you know, you look back at when this started and this started in March. And so, you know, March, April, May, June, July, August. So we're six months in at this point. And sometimes that six months feels like six days. Other days, it feels like six years. It just really depends. What has been the, the, the thread that carried has carried me through all six months of this is that every single school that we've worked with has taken a difficult situation and thought creatively around how can they help families? It's always family first. There's just tremendous empathy that is what makes our school, you know, it makes our school so special. And that empathy has just kind of enveloped every decision that they've made. And frankly, like that is perhaps one of the most inspirational things that I've ever participated in as a professional. And, you know, I, I, it just gives me great faith as we head into the next two months, six months, 12 months, whatever time frame, because there's no doubt in my mind that the next, you know, set of months ahead of us are going to be extraordinarily challenging. But the fact that we lead with empathy, the fact that we lead with heart, the fact that we lead with grace, these characteristics are going to carry our schools through. And there will be an end to this. There's no doubt in my mind, like we will get to the other side of this at, at some point. We don't know when, but we will. Because we've been conditioning ourselves in new ways this entire time frame and into the future, I just have incredible faith. I have incredible, um, an incredible belief that, you know, independent schools will rise and and just see a whole new level of greatness because of this. Again, it comes down to responding to um, uh, a crisis situation and looking for the opportunity. And every school that we're working with on the day-to-day has done just that. And, uh, you know, honestly, this has really been the hardest stretch of my career, but it's also been the most inspiring stretch. And I, and I want to thank every school out there who's worked with us because it's just, it's just incredible motivation every day for us to get up and uh, work with, work with our members. So, you know, again, not, not, not so much wisdom, David, more of a reflection, mm-hmm. but you know, one that um, I don't know, it just, it just really hits home for not only me, but everybody at, at EMA, it really drives us every day. And on that very hopeful and inspirational note, we thank you for joining us. And we look forward to continuing the conversation in the future with you. Thanks, Fantastic. Peter. Yeah, thank you. And thanks, thanks to all the good work for all the good work that, that you all do. I really do appreciate it. Mm-hmm.